to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, crisis management, emergency management, all things related to COVID, resilience, and so many more things. It's our monthly chat. I'm going to skip all my usually other uh, things that I say at the beginning. It's We've got a full agenda today. It's my monthly talk with Regina Phelps. Regina, welcome to the show. Alex, it is always great to be with you. And my goodness, though, time just flies. We're in March already. Oh, my gosh. I know. It feels like I just talked to you the other day, and here we are. <laughs> it's a month Here we later. are. <laughs> so funny. It's so funny. Now, let's start off. Uh, I know we've got a full agenda and, you know, we were chatting before we actually started filming. Um, there's a whole bunch of things we want to get to. So let's just jump to the nitty gritty first part. Um, where are we now? with? Uh, yeah. Oh, well, happily. Um, you know, it, it's it's a mixed bag. Uh, and of course, I'm sure you're seeing the reports of what's happening in Europe. They're in pretty serious straits, right? Italy is in lockdown again, parts of uh, many other countries, uh, the Czech Republic and France and Spain and so on. There's really a lot of virus that is spreading. And a lot of it, of course, is this B117, which is the variant from the UK, which is highly transmissible and about 40% more fatal. Uh, That's driving this. And because of the slow vaccine rollout in the EU, Sadly, that means that the variant is currently winning the race, actually, in uh, in Europe. It's also pretty tough in South America, and in particular Brazil, where there's now two, two variants, the P1 and the P2, that are really um, ravaging Brazil, and it's now leaking out into other countries in South America. And in the United States, we're kind of on a plateau, and unfortunately, it's a pretty high plateau. Our seven-day uh, average case counts about 55,000. Our deaths now are down below 1,000 on most days, um, but still very high. And we've been this way for a period of time. And so there's a lot of B117 in the United States driving this particular increase. And of course, we're all concerned that, again, we're in a tight race here and we don't know who's going to quite win yet, the virus or the the variant or the uh, vaccine. And I would say to you that it's going to be close. It's going to be really close. And so um, that's kind of where we are. I'm curious about Canada. I know your vaccine rollout continues to be slow. Uh, I saw that you made some pretty good progress in the older population. But before we jump to our next topic, where are you guys at in Canada now? Uh, Well, we are now at uh, 22,600 above that deaths. We have, uh, unfortunately, our next big milestone for cases is going to be a million because we're at 933,000 plus cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, schools seem to be open all across the country. Uh, there are some areas that have been flipping back and forth between gray, which is uh, uh, the worst category you could be in, you know, full mm-hmm. lockdown, gray and red going back and forth there. Uh, Toronto seems to be a yo uh, yo. Uh, one, you know, for two weeks, it's gray, goes into red, then all of a sudden, they let 
they don't follow things or something, or they, they say, oh, good, the worst is over, and they flip right back into gray again. Mm. So um, that's happening. Um, in uh, there, I think it's just Toronto or the greater Toronto area. I forget which one, but they're going to be opening some patios now, which I'm not so sure that's the greatest thing in the world to do. Uh, is that outdoor the, dining? Is that what that's yeah, called? Outdoor, outdoor mm -hmm. dining. Mm -hmm. um, but the rules kind of are, are messy. You can only be with your own household unless you're uh, single. Um, well, then what does that mean? You can be hey, with everybody, yeah. you know, right. and you know, if oh, you're yeah, a healthcare messy. worker, you can, uh, you, you can be alone or dine with others as well. So it, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And um, there are some mixed uh, communications uh, about, uh, you mentioned the vaccine rollouts, and uh, uh, they are having some challenges getting the right messages out because uh, we're hearing different things on the radio. Mm. On the weekend, I was driving back from the cottage and they, in the same, with, within 10 minutes, one announcement was the province of Ontario, where I am, were, had now uh, activated a online booking system that people 60 and over, uh, 60 or 65, no, 60, that can now book an appointment to get a vaccine. Mm -hmm. 10 minutes later, there was another uh, message saying, yes, you know, people 75 and older now can uh, get. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. Now. Right. So where is it? Because my mother falls in there. Mm -hmm. And she mm -hmm. has to, uh, because of cancer in her family, she has to go for a mammogram every uh so often it's not the two year mm -hmm. thing or one year it's almost like every six months she has mm -hmm. to go but she can't go until she gets the vaccine well oh. because of these mixed messages they're saying she's not eligible for the vaccine but she has to have this mammogram so she's now stuck in a loop unfortunately mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and uh so things are the the vaccines are now starting to come and the you know it's the um the delays that we were experiencing getting all those uh, vaccines are now starting to um work their way through the system and we're now getting a lot more needles in arms you know Good. regardless of the 60 or 6, uh, 75 but it's now starting to uh, you know, happen which is good mm -hmm. um, and one little bit of information which I thought I'd pass along because uh, I didn't think I'd actually see this anywhere I was checking the government website today uh, government of Canada and uh, one of our maritime provinces Prince Edward Island mm -hmm. has zero deaths, which I didn't think uh, happened in Canada. But I also found that- Congratulations, our, that's shocking. You know, fa fantastic for the people of PEI, that's wonderful. Yeah. And we have three uh, Northern Territories, uh, Yukon, which is right against Alaska, mm -hmm. uh, Nunavut, which is uh, towards Greenland, and in the middle is Northwest Territories. Northwest Territories also has zero deaths. That's, um, that's actually surprising to me. Yeah, uh, and uh, the other one, the Yukon I mentioned, right beside Alaska, only has one, wow. one death. Um, so I, I was congratulations. You know, it's one death too many out of all of that, but of course, still, it was kind of nice to see. Oh, it, maybe you know, they're doing something really good up there. I, you know, fingers mm -hmm. crossed, and mm -hmm. the numbers were so low. So, and, uh, and is there any is there any conversation in Canada about the United States giving? offering Ox uh, the AstraZeneca vaccine to both Canada and Mexico, because we have 200 million doses here. And they've just, since we have bought, embarrassingly, we bought so much vaccine here in the United States from Moderna, Pfizer, and J&J, &J, that we have enough vaccine on order to basically cover everybody in the U.S. 
I know there are conversations going on, and uh, I believe some of the government officials here are talking to people in the U.S. wondering, you know, hey, can we get some of those? Yeah, apparently it's been offered. (laughs) Apparently Biden has offered just to somehow split it between Canada and Mexico and Mexico. Yeah, I've, I've been out of the loop for the last two, three days because I was up north at the cottage. So oh, good for uh, you. very poor internet. So it's good for your brain, honey. It's good yeah. for your brain. But I know those conversations are happening because That's people great. are concerned going, hey, how come the U.S. has got so much and we can't right. get all this stuff? Right. You know? So right. I know those conversations are, are happening right now. Oh, good, 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 because that's important. Well, yes. let me let me jump because I want to talk about uh, before we get into sort of the, our main topic. I wanted to talk with your listeners about uh, new g- definitions that the CDC and the WHO came out with on variants. Uh, and the reason this is important is that variants are affect everybody around the world, and and there was not good clarity on the definitions between a variant of interest and a variant of concern. And I can never find everybody sort of said something different. So I'm going to look at my notes here because I want to call out and, and be very clear. So there are three levels now of variants recognized by WHO and CDC and very likely others will follow. So the variants of interest are the least of the three, the least threatening of the three. And the definition is as follows, a variant with specific genetic markers that have been associated with changes in receptor binding, which is the spike protein, uh, reduced neutralization of antibodies, which means that vaccines may not be as effective, and uh, either between vaccines or previous infections, reduced um, efficacy of treatments like uh, um, monoclonal antibodies, and potentially diagnostic impacts like a PCR test that may not catch it, and could also be uh, also more transmissible or more serious. So what it's saying is, ooh, this variant's, you know, it's got some bad parts to it. It's not evil, evil, but it's got some bad parts. And there essentially are um, three major variants, two from New York, which were discovered in the late winter. Uh, And so um, those are two, it's B1526 and 1525. And then there's now a new one out of Brazil called P2 that's in this variance of interest. And again, all of those are either more transmissible, more deadly, or impact therapeutics like vaccines and uh, monoclonals. But Uh, I was going to mention that I've been hearing uh, on the news here that doctors and hospitals are saying they're seeing more uh, younger people now showing up. Uh, By younger, I don't mean kids. I mean, you know, 20, 30, 40-year-olds. It's not just the elderly now. And actually, that's a that's a characteristic uh, uh, of some of the shift in the new variants, and in particular, the ones out of Brazil are really affecting people between 20 and 40. Um, and so that's another sort of big issue to consider. So though there are essentially three of these variants of interest now: two from New York, one from Brazil, the second P2. Then variants of concern, which is a term we're familiar with because that's been around, is one that has more transmissibility. Trans- Visibility uh, could be more severe and could impact therapeutics more significantly and has been well documented. And that's where you're getting into the UK variant, the B117, the P1 that we know well from Brazil, and then also the South African one, which is the 1351, B1351. And two of my homegrown ones in California are now called a variant of concern. This is brand new. And these are much more transmissible and, and believed to be somewhat more deadly. 
And they came, one of them came from my town, San Francisco. And the other one was from Southern California. So those are the variants of concern, the current ones. Then they added a new category, uh, but no one's living in it yet, which is really good when you hear the definition. It's called the variant of higher consequence. And essentially what this one says in the, in the definition is, a variant of high consequence has clear evidence that preventive measures or medical countermeasures such as vaccines, et cetera, have significantly been reduced to previously circulating viruses. So this is like a virus that is not impacted at all by vaccines, is not impacted by monoclonals, and is much more transmissible and likely deadly. Currently, we don't have any of those, but what I would say to you is that there always, always is a possibility for that to occur. I was going to say we have the chance of that, though, because of course, uh, uh, here in Ontario, they're saying that there's a, a chance that we could be starting uh, the beginning stages of a third wave. Yes, and and, and, and it's variants. So I would I would ex I would expect you to be uh, to ad to advance to a third wave, and simply because a couple of things. First of all, is that now that the weather's improving, there's going to be a lot more mixing, very likely. Uh, hopefully outdoors, but still there's going to be a lot more mixing. But secondarily, because these new, more transmissible variants of concern are everywhere, that you are going to very likely experience that because also your vaccine rollout has been very slow. What's mm -hmm. What could potentially save the U.S. from having a fourth wave, because we're overachievers here, we don't just have three waves, we have four, Right, right. What could push us to a fourth wave is the B117. And I, again, I think last time we spoke, I talked a lot about the fact that there is this high potential for a fourth surge in the United States. And one of the things that's happening here in the U.S. is that we are at this plateau, a really high plateau of between 15, 60,000 cases a day. And that's been our rolling average for some time now. And so what that means is the B117 is continuing to increase in many states and it keeps pushing those numbers up, even though we have lots of people who are vaccinated. And roughly, if you look at the stats in the U.S., essentially about 20% of the U.S. has received at least one jab. So either the two jabs, shots, the Moderna or the Pfizer, or the, the J&J, &J, which just started rolling out here about three weeks ago. So 20%, that's really good, right? Uh, and about 30%, more or less, have been infected. So they have some uh, antibodies. And the current studies I've seen just as, as of last week is that antibodies are believed actually to last at least eight to nine months because now they're doing studies on people that got sick in March and in April and in May of last year, and they still have circulating neutralizing antibodies. So that's all good news. Mm -hmm. So we still have 50% though of the population that are not vaccinated and haven't been sick. So we still have a lot of wood to burn, so to speak. And so if we get by without a fourth surge, Alex, it's going to be a miracle. Uh, and it's and if you've seen any photographs or images of people partying in Florida with spring bake, if we live through this, it will be a miracle. Uh, I saw some of those pictures just recently. Shocking. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Shocking. I was, I was so shocked. I hadn't seen it. I saw a video on, I posted on LinkedIn this morning that it was in the Wall Street Journal. And it was like the biggest party you've ever seen in your life. And People were, for the most part, maskless and pressed right up against each other. And I thought, oh, my God. And those people are going to go home and spread it to others. 
Exactly. And that's the problem about someplace where everybody goes to someplace like Florida. They all are going to go back home and you know what happens after that. Well, it's interesting you mentioned warm weather because here uh, we've had, had unnaturally warm weather for the last two weeks. Really? Um, yeah, unbelievably. And we will for the next two weeks. Huh. Uh, no snow, no rain. Uh, where I live, we don't have any snow here except for those snow banks that were, you know, 20 feet high. You know, there's a little bit left. But for the most part, we have no snow. Even uh, up at the cottage, um, half of it, over half of it is gone. Wow. And today, with the blue sky and the sun, which is one side of my face being so bright because the sun has now moved, it's coming through the window. But wow. uh, there were tons of people outside wandering yeah. around. Yeah. You mentioned yeah. the parks. They were full. I'm sure packed. Parents packed. standing around the parks while the kids were playing on the uh, monkey bars and swings and things like that. The dog mm -hmm. park was full. Because you know, <laughs> that's around. where you were, right? That's where you were. Well, I, actually, I won't take my dog in there because there are so many people in there that aren't wearing masks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my dog gets along with everybody. But just in case I have to pull him away, yeah. I don't want to be beside somebody who's not right. wearing a mask. Right. So I take him for a walk down the street. But there were just tons of people around because the yeah. weather is now warming up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. On that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We're talking with Regina Phelps, and we'll be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. 
And welcome back. We are talking today with Regina Phelps. Regina, let's jump into the main topic of the day. Uh, offices and people going back to the office and work from home stuff. I know you've, there, you've got lots of stuff uh, to say about that today. So and let, let me and, uh, For anybody watching <laughs> on YouTube, we've got slides. So um, Voice America uh, listeners, um, we will mention what we're talking about here. You just can't see the slides. But right. Regina, over to you. Okay, good. So um, this is a really important topic. And I'll tell you, uh, I never in my my career as a crisis manager, continuity planner, pandemic person, did I really think I'd spend so much time talking about how people are rethinking going back from a perspective of what I call reinvention. But it's probably what I spend a majority of my time talking about today. And by reinvention, it's really the idea of how are you going back? And there's a couple things I think that are important for your listeners to think about. First of all, we really are at a crossroads. I mean, we are kind of like standing at the juncture where you can either go back and go back to your offices as you always have and work as you always have. Or you have actually the opportunity to create some sort of a new future. And I think I've said this to your listeners many times, and that is if we've gone through all of this hell for the last year plus, for you to go back and work as you have always done, to me seems like the greatest mistake. And you've missed such an incredible opportunity to reimagine your work environment. And so I, many of my clients have, because they've been out for a year uh, that are in knowledge, knowledge workers, right? Um, that they really are really starting to deeply question how and when they go back and what it looks like. And that's really what I wanna talk about. So I'll talk through a few things. and. And then, and then we'll be dialoguing as we normally do back and forth. So what I, what I tell all of my clients, and this is uh, one of the things I would ask uh, your listeners to really think about, Alex, is there are three questions that you should really be thinking about before you even start going back. And what I would say to you is that this, you know, every time I hear somebody say the new normal, I just want to choke them. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> because I, I, I hate, hate that. that. I hate that. Uh, to, to me, it is our new future, right? It's, it's not going back to what was. It's not, it's different. It's different. And if we say new normal, somehow it just seems like it's the same darn thing. And so to me, it is about a new future. And I think that it requires soul searching. And that's really what I've been really begging, frankly, all of my clients to do right now. Uh, because pretty soon if they don't do this, and all of a sudden they're going to be planning to go back and they didn't know how that even happened. So I ask people to do essentially three questions. What are the, first of all, what have you learned over the last 12 plus months? And there's two ways to slice that. What's really worked for you in this remote work and all the other things that you've done? What's really worked? And I will tell you, many of my clients can produce a long list of things that have worked. Mm-hmm. And, and then the other question really is, is that what needs improvement? And by that, I mean, you know, where there are things that you did that didn't work and you stopped, or maybe you're still doing them, but you're not happy with it. Or maybe you're concerned about things that are not working as well. So some of my clients talk a lot about company culture and and how do you successfully onboard people and all of that kind of stuff. Maybe those kinds of things aren't working. But the first two questions really require some really deep digging. And then the third question requires the deepest digging of all, which to me is why are you going back? Now, That's not a simple question, even though it sounds pretty simple. What I'm asking people is like, why are you going back? What do you 
And that should peel like an onion. Like, well, yeah, to me, well, why are you going back? Well, what are you going to get when you go back that's different from what you're experiencing now? And it's really asking those questions and peeling that onion, because if you can really be clear about what's worked, what's not working, and then what do you get by going back, that will help you determine what the going back should look like. But it does require soul searching, and it should be not just at any one particular level of the company. It should be, I would ask that the senior executives have that conversation, and then the middle folks below them having that conversation, and then even really surveying employees with that conversation, because they're all going to be different and really understanding that. And it's not just sending out a survey. You know, people sitting, I'm going to send out a survey. Well, yeah, you could do that. But I think it'd be much better if you had conversations, you know, little small groups yeah. of people really talking about it. You're not, you don't engage people by doing a, a survey. No, you don't. It's, a, it's an easy way out. You get some data, of course, but I'm really asking people to dig around in the muck here and really have a deep conversation, which may make some people, frankly, a little uncomfortable. Mm. But I think it would be really, and this is something you could do on Zoom. You really could easily. Um, so that's what I'm really asking people to do. And I want to give you an example about one of uh, our clients and also one of the biggest companies here in San Francisco, where I live, that's just announced their new way of working at Salesforce. Now, Salesforce just built a 107-story building in my town. It is huge. And they announced on February 23rd <clears throat> that there's only going to be three ways that you'll be working at, at uh, Salesforce. One is a flex schedule. That will be like 90% of the staff, 85 to 90% of the staff. One to three days a week, you go there because you're going there because you can't do things at home. So if you have to collaborate in a meeting, if you have to do a customer meeting, if you have to do a presentation and you need to be at, at work, it's those kinds of things. And they say that the vast majority, you know, 85 plus percent of their employees are gonna be in this flex schedule, one to three days a week. Then there's people that will be fully remote. The people that will be fully remote are those people that don't live near a Salesforce office. And actually, uh, maybe you and I have talked about this before. There's a fair number of my clients anyway, who have hired people during the pandemic that don't live anywhere near an office. Mm -hmm. And they've got, been able to get some really good talent because from they're drawing from the world, right? Instead of just the Bay Area, as an example, or New York or wherever. And then lastly, there'll be a very small percentage, less than 5%, that would be office-based. And that those are people that's again a really tiny number. And it could be like security people or maybe certain tasks or jobs that need to be really done physically at work. And then now their offices are being completely redesigned to be what are called community hubs. So it's going to be uh not, you know, cube farms, it's going to be breakout spaces, collaborative rooms. It's going to have good ventilation, good air, you know, all of that stuff, which are critical from the disease-related perspective. And they're a really good example of that. And this is a quote from one of uh, Salesforce's um, key executives, their chief people person, that's an HR person, who said an immersive workspace is no longer limited to a desk in our towers. And they're talking about the 107-story tower. And that you can see in that slide, that 107-story tower is behind our photographs. If you pick up our photographs, you'll see that. It's, you can't miss it from anywhere in this town. The nine-to-five workday is dead and employee experiences a lot more than ping pong tables and snacks because, you know, tech companies are known for ping pong and snacks. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. But 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 what they're saying really clearly is is that you know, and and I like the fact that they got ahead really early in this conversation and kind of laid down the gauntlet. This is how it's going to be, and they're going to spend you know six plus months or longer getting their workforce uh, organized and getting the the new tower that they just built and furnished refurnished again. Um, so it's an interesting perspective. It, it's interesting that you you mentioned those three examples from Salesforce because I've recently been talking to uh, some potential new clients and many of them are saying, yeah, you know, we're going to have everybody back in the office. Mm. You know, because one of my first questions are, is this position remote? Is there flex? You know, and, and I can tell by their answers to use your own words, if they've learned anything or not. Right. You know, if everything, no, we're going to get everyone, put them all back in the office. Then I know right off the bat, wait a minute, you haven't learned anything. It's right. been over a year and you've learned nothing. Right. So it's interesting that, uh, you know, what you said about Salesforce. Yeah, I mean, I think, and, and I, I very much appreciate, and I, granted, they're a large company, they're a technology company, and, you know, the vast, vast, vast majority of their people are knowledge workers and have the ability to work anywhere. But what I really appreciate is that they got really ahead of this early. They've been thinking about this for a very long time, and they were not shy about putting it out there. And the fact that they did it so publicly, I think, was really um, setting a bar, if you will, or really giving an example to other companies of what's possible if they really work at it. Now, the um, I want to talk about this is an important, and again, I'll provide the links to these uh, documents there's some really important work that's being already done in this area of work from anywhere, essentially. And as you see on the slide and as your listeners on the radio will find in the handouts, there's a guy by the name of Raj Chaudhry, who's a professor at the Harvard Business School. He teaches in the MBA program. He's been studying this for over five years. So he's not new to the party, meaning he just didn't start studying this in January of 2020. He's been doing it globally, studying it for the last uh, five years. And he's done some really definitive writing about this. And I've really been pushing my clients to read this and even reach out to him to have conversations because he is a big thinker. And what he uses the terms are, you know, work from home or really, frankly, work from anywhere. And other people might use the term distributed working. So any of those three titles essentially mean uh, that you would be not in the office, at least not routinely. And he's very clear about the benefits of this work from anywhere model. He said, you know, just as you were, you and I've talked about many times, Alex, about the cost of living, because people can live outside of urban centers, better quality of life, of parks, and so on, much more flexibility. I thought this one was really interesting. The fourth bullet here says military or corporate spouses still able to pursue their, still able to pursue their own aspirations. And I'm sure you probably have known or met people who's either spouse was in the military or in a corporation and they got a new job and then everybody moved. Yeah. And then the job was lost. And so the spouse, often a woman, lost all of that uh, background and then all of that seniority and got to get a new job, blah, blah, blah. And so I think that's actually a pretty good selling point uh, myself. Also, for people that might be challenged with immigration issues. So, for example, in the United States, there's been lots of issues with the H-5-1B visas uh, during the Trump administration. And so people that were supposed to come to the U.S. to work couldn't get them. But if you had, again, work from anywhere, you could be employing people that might be working some other place 
uh, but can't get here because of immigration related issues or disease, because now you can't get to a lot of places or move about. And also uh, what's interesting, uh, some of my clients that are in the global community uh, like this last bullet, which is in some countries it allows women to continue to work even though in their culture, it's frowned upon to work outside the home. And so from a cultural perspective, they can actually work, but they're working remotely. So they're not leaving the home environment and that can be a big help. Um, And he also talks about that for organizations, there's actually a lot of benefits as well. You have the ability to have increased employee engagement, if you know how to do that. And we'll talk a little bit about that in just a moment, Uh, that workers are often happier and they're also uh, more productive. And you and I have talked a lot about that um, from our own personal experiences, as well as things that we've observed. Huge opportunity for real estate savings, of course because you don't have uh, people all with their own desk, all with their own cube, all with their own office. And so there is those savings from a real estate perspective. Uh, and then you uh, really expand your pool. So as we've talked many times, you know, it's not just people who like are in Toronto, you could be getting people to work from you from anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, the talent is the world. Okay, that's pretty good. And then uh, lastly, is that which, you have- Which actually isn't a really new idea because I've worked for financial institutions here in Canada where they outsourced uh, right. some of their development to other countries, either right. in Europe or India or China right. or wherever. Right. So that's not a new idea. No, you know, not I, at all. I, some people think it is new and novel, but it's actually been around for a while. Right. Exactly right. And so this would be what would be unique about this is you'd have an employee- versus the company. So you're at your, you're, you know, instead of it, you, when you outsource, you're outsourcing to a company usually, and they're doing all of that and providing you with a whole bunch of people. In this case, you're actually, it's one person at a time, but they're employees mm-hmm. of yours. And then lastly, his belief is in his, and, and this is all based on his research he's been doing over the last five years is that it reduces attrition because people are, you know, for all the reasons that they're happy, are going to be staying in that job longer. And then lastly, he says societally, he believes that there are also some really great benefits. And one of them I think is fascinating is about brain drain, where you've got many people, especially in many parts of the world where the only opportunity for a good job is often in the big city centers. And so you have people living, leaving small villages or small towns, and mm-hmm. then they're actually literally um, draining all of that new knowledge and, uh, and youth, if you will, and they're actually then going to a large urban center. And so people can work in more rural environments Again, assuming things like internet, et cetera, is successful. And then, of course, we're not driving as much or flying as much. And all of that can be good as well. I just wanted to mention, I know I mentioned it to you earlier uh, about the uh, uh, brain drain piece of getting jobs in cities. That now, I don't know if this is happening anywhere uh, around you, uh, where you live, but where I live, there are some smaller cities and large towns, London, Ontario, uh, a fair size city, Owen Sound, north of me, Sudbury, north of me, and a couple of other places. They're now promoting themselves mm-hmm. to people uh, that can't afford, you know, the million dollar homes in the greater Toronto area to say, hey, you can get the same million dollar home up here for half the price. Right. And we've got more parks and more land. You can go hiking and you know, ride bike riding and everything. And there's you know so much to do, and they've invested in their infrastructure, especially with uh, uh, internet uh, capabilities and uh, mm-hmm. uh, those kind of things. To say, you know, 
if you're working from home, well, you know what? You can do that up here and live yeah. a better quality of life. And it's there. There is actually a kind of a competition going on amongst these towns and cities now. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I'm not seeing that. Well, I'm seeing that a little bit. Actually, states are doing that here in in, in the United States. But I live in one of the most expensive cities in the world, uh, San Francisco, and you know where you can't buy a house for less than a million and a half dollars, and it's the size of a postage stamp. So um, yes, there there have been a fair number of people that have left the city. Maybe as much as 10% of our population has shrunk in the last year because people are realizing, you know, I could live anywhere and just, you know, work uh, remotely for many of the companies I'm working for, like Twitter, like Facebook, like all these other technology companies, and they're doing that. Mm -hmm. On that note, we've come to the end of our second segment. We are talking with Regina Phelps today, and we will be right back. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Turn every weekend into a fun storytime adventure with Jesse Jameson and Friends. Each week, Jesse brings on a new guest with a great real-life story to share. And he tests the limits of some of his friends' storytelling abilities with fun questions and outrageous comments. If you have a story worth telling, you can be a part of the show, too. Listen to Jesse Jameson and Friends every Sunday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Regina Phelps. Regina, you're talking about working from home everywhere. Um, can you continue on with that? I know we've only got uh, so much time left and sure, still lots sure, to cover. Sure. And again, this is uh, uh, Rod Chaudhry's work uh, from the uh, Harvard Business School. And again, those links will be available on your site. He does mention a couple. So the last thing we just talked about was, of course, the benefits of this work from anywhere, as he describes it. But now he asked, well, what are the concerns of work from anywhere? And a couple things that he talks about is, first of all, the office has been something that we've had 
forever. So it's really hard for people to imagine getting rid of it. So there's this resistance, which you and I have talked about a lot. And, and because of it, um, that can be challenging automatically. And, and frankly, there can be some really legitimate hurdles to making working from anywhere work. Like, for example, if they don't have sufficient broadband or enough capacity, that would be an issue. But what's happened is, is that during this experiment we've been living in the last 12 months is that the pandemic has taught us that all remote work is actually possible. And there are now a variety of best practices that are emerging, and I'm going to share some of those with you. It's based on his research. And he's felt that essentially what needs to be solved for a company to be able to successfully have work from anywhere, work from home, distributed working, whatever you want to call it, is that you have to figure out how does communication work? How do people work together such as brainstorming and problem solving? which normally might be when you drag people into a conference room and you brainstorm, et cetera. Um, but how do you communicate effectively? How do you brainstorm? How do you problem solve? The second thing he talks about, which I think is really important, is knowledge sharing. And you know, knowledge sharing is, for example, how do you share information about the company you work with, with other people? It's done spontaneously. So if, if I'm my desk, my cube is next to yours, and you want to know how to do something, you're just going to stop by and say, hey, Regina, how do you do X, Y, Z? But, you know, when everybody's remote, that's not possible. So the, how do you do that kind of basic knowledge sharing? And he has lots of ideas about how to do that. And then how do you really deal with all of the cultural issues, which is how do you socialize? How do you get people brought on board? How do you keep them connected? How do you build a company culture, which is all about camaraderie? And how do you do that when you're remote? And then how do you mentor people? How do you successfully mentor people in the organization? And he believes that those are the things that have to be thought through for this to work. And if you think through it, you're going to be able to successfully make this happen. But if you don't, then you're going to be, it's not, there are going to be issues that are going to pop up. And the issues are about this. And you can see how this would happen. You know, so for example, you know, sometimes if a, if a senior manager goes to work, then what do you think his direct reports are going to do? They're going to go to work, right? They're not going to work yeah. from home because they need FaceTime with their boss. Their boss expects them to be there. And so what begins to happen is that you have this kind of two-class society. And the way that uh, uh, Professor Chaudhry talks about this is that the best hybrid model is that everybody does the same style of work regardless of where your butt is in a chair. So, for example, if I'm working from home and I'm using collaborative tools, if I'm in the office the next day, I'm still using the same collaborative tools. <clears throat> so that means that we don't have a class divide. That, you, know, you know when you're in a conference room, and I'm sure this has happened to you, it's happened to me a zillion times, where you're on a conference call, you're in the, in the room with everybody else, and there's two or three people on the phone. Those people are often trying to get a word in edgewise. They don't really understand all the sidebar conversations that are going on, blah, yeah. blah. <clears throat> and so that means time. that we have... Two classes, right? Yep. We have two classes. And so that doesn't work. So what, what makes the best possibility is you've got this remote work group who actually are working just like they're in the office and vice versa. And so that's one key thing he talks about. The second thing he talks about is that if you actually have people that choose to be in the office versus those people that choose to be remote, then you also create another set of classes. 
Because the remote people, again, are going to be not as much in the in crowd. They're not going to know as much because of the way it's designed. And then secondarily, the office workers are going to have the inside lane. And so what he talks about is that maybe what you say is that everybody's going to work uh, in the office two days a week. But it's not, it's not decided that everybody, nobody says, okay, I'm going to work three. No, you're going to work two. We only need you here two days a week. So it's, it's that idea. It's that idea. And so the idea is if you think about remote work first and you build everything around the idea that it's remote, that when you're in the office, you're still working that way. So when you go into a conference room, you're, you're all using a whiteboard that's on the computer. You're not using a whiteboard that's in a screen in a, in a conference room. So the idea is that you're still using collaborative tools. You're still working the same way. It doesn't make any difference where you happen to be seated to avoid that class society. Hmm. What do you think of that? I, I like that. And to be honest, that's kind of where I want to go. Mm -hmm. Because I've always enjoyed that mix, you know, a couple of days in the office, a couple of days at home. Mm -hmm. I, it's kind of, I go to the office, I do all my meetings, and I get all the information I need, and then I can go home and actually get something done. <laughs> right, right. And I think, and I think to that point, I mean, that's what Chaudhry talks a lot about is that you go to work to collaborate. Because frankly, if you're just doing the work, you're, you could be anywhere, Right. Yeah, and so you true. go to work for those <clears throat> reasons that you need to connect with other people, but not because you just need to have your butt in the chair, so to speak, right? Yeah. So it's really a different mindset. Now, he talks about, and these are all really important uh, uh, things that he shares in his writing, which, again, I would highly recommend to your listeners. And this article is free online from the Harvard Business Review that came out in November, December of 2020. That he says, what you really need to make all this work from anywhere work is you have to have really good new processes. So you have to really document how you get things done. Um, because again, we can't have those casual conversations with me sticking my head in your cube, right? So I've got to really have clear processes about how things are done. And we have to have really good training for collaborative tools. And I will tell you, most of my clients have done an awful job with this. So they, you know, send out Slack or they'd send out MS Teams and say, use this to collaborate. Look at the videos at the company website. Go to Slack. Go to MS Teams. Well, you know, it's for a lot of people that are not tech folks, it's not very helpful. So and some to, don't have time for that. Right. Right. And so the idea is if you're going to launch a really important collaborative tool, you had better do some really good training with your staff. And it should be about you and your processes and how you expect it to work and what do you, how it should be organized. Because if I organize my team site completely different than you organize yours and I'm going to collaborate with you and I go to your page, it's like, what's all this stuff? I mean, well, don't make it hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't make it hard. So if you're going to use collaborative tools, which of course I expect everybody would be, that they should be really thinking about how they can launch those effectively. You wouldn't launch a new product to customers and just say, hey, figure it out, you know? No. Um, so that's really important. And then I think the third one is really critical. And I, this is going to take some big chewing it, by management. Just, just by reading the, this bullet point, I'll let you read it. But just as I read How it, do you define wow. productivity? Hmm. Because, you know, traditionally productivity was, okay, you got your stuff done. And, oh, yeah, you worked 40 hours that week. Well, is that really productivity. 
And the answer, of course, it's not the number of hours that you work. It's really what are called, what your productivity is measured, should be measured on the outputs or the deliverables of your job. But I will be honest with you that a lot of knowledge workers don't necessarily have, you know, I'm, I'm, I need to make 20 widgets an hour or whatever, right? I mean, it's, it's a different kind of work. And so this means you have to reframe how you are looking at work and defining it. This is, this is, a, this is a meaty topic that requires HR professionals, executives, and leadership to really chew on what does Regina do? What does Alex do? You know, what does that job entail? And what is our expectation? Because frankly, Alex, if you can get the job done in 20 hours and that's what the deliverables are and you're supposed to work 40, well then that's what, that's it, right? You don't have to do another 20, right? <laughs> or right? give me a promotion, something else to do. <laughs> right, right. So. This idea about what's productive is a lot more than with your butt in a chair in an office. Yeah. And what's expected and how do you measure that? And we've got four minutes left. This is deep thinking. And then lastly, what he talks about is the new position that should be in every every office environment is ahead of remote work. Who thinks about this stuff all the time? Interesting. That one's an interesting point. I I haven't heard anyone bring that up before. I think it's critically important. And when you think about the things that need to happen, I think it's really spot on. So I have four minutes left, but the last slide is really important. And that is that senior leaders are often the biggest obstacles to a successful remote work from anywhere, work from home, distributed working. And that's because they are often far more comfortable being in an office and having people around them. And I know this, I see this in my client population every single day. And so the slide says, remind senior leaders that the world is changing. And if you talk to people under the age of 40, their idea of this remote work and this collaborative uh, environment is extremely different than somebody who's older in senior management. It's been my experience with my client, my own clients. So the question is not that uh, working from anywhere is possible, but really what do you need to do to make it possible? And management is the answer to that. All senior leaders, you know, if they go to work, then everybody else is going to go to work because it's all about FaceTime. But if leaders, senior leaders would support things such as synchronous and asynchronous communication, which means asynchronous communication means you're doing it offline, off time. So I might put something into a chat. You, you come to work, you know, five hours later, you answer me. So it's not synchronous. How we do brainstorming, how we do problem solving, asynchronous ways are the ways to go. That we actually have initiatives to codify information online so that we all have this big knowledge sharing that we encourage this virtual socialization, team building and mentoring, that we really obviously deal very closely with data security because with everybody remote, that's a big problem. (laughs) And that we work with uh, government officials about regulatory compliance, which now we have people in many different locations, countries or states, that can be an issue. And then lastly, they have to set an example, which means they have to work remotely too. They just can't come in five days a week because they want to. So there needs to be a real shift in what's going on here. And so I really encourage your uh, lead, uh, your listeners to really look at this information and share it widely with management. It's interesting that last point, uh, senior management, making sure that they work remote. Um, we've probably both been around long enough where it used to be senior management were the only ones who had the capability to work from home. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. And now it's completely changed. Right. Right. So those are really important things for your 
listeners to think about and, and go to your site because we'll, I'll give you all these links. Yeah, on the uh, we'll put the links in uh, the show description on Voice America and it'll be in the uh, description on the uh, YouTube channel as well. So there'll be some links there for people to check out. And cool. uh, hopefully they do because there is some really good information. And I, I know you and I are going to have to touch base on this again, uh, I'm sure, because there is so much more. And I know we can uh, get deeper into some of this information. You know, maybe uh, maybe we'll move some of that to next month. You know, Sounds good. I know, that, I know there's some stuff we didn't even get to today. Right. <laughs> As always. <laughs> always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talk too much. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm all for it. I love it. The more people learn and listen, you know, the, the better we're getting the messages out there. So. You know, Absolutely. More benefits in the end. So thank you once again, Regina, for your uh, insights. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. You're welcome, Alex, and, and to you as well. And um, yeah, I hope you get a jab in your arm pretty soon. And I hope your mom does. So yeah, good luck. Me too. On that. Me too. Believe me. Um, and hopefully she will in the next couple of weeks, if not sooner. Fingers yeah. crossed. Absolutely. So thanks, Regina. And to everybody listening and watching, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.